Chapter 5 The Secret of the Sahara Kufara by Rosita Forbes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Passages in French were read for us by Sonia. Chapter 5 Triumphant Arrival at Jalo. We crossed the wadi at twelve thirty, our faces stinging and burning in the cruel wind. The air was full of sand and the heat was excessive. The body of the long winding oasis is composed merely of palm gardens, each with its separate well or wells known as Sawani, but the village of Aujela lies in the farthest western curl. In Sawani there are only a few broken-down buildings with crumbling walls where perhaps a tattered blue tobe shows for an instant besides huge feathery foliage trees with coarse-grained bark, something between a spruce and a mimosa, but, of course, nameless. For three hours we plodded southwest along the line of Sawani's palms. An ancient square tower appeared on a sand hill to our left, the Moribet of Sidi Sala, but we left it behind us before the top of another long swelling rise brought the long for Aujela into view. The sun was blurred behind the flying sand, but we gazed eagerly at the mass of palms broken only by the low white dunes which stretched south for nearly a mile. At the farther end lay the clustered mud houses all heaped together under the shadow of the palms, with here and there a square of small clay cupolas on the roof of a mosque. It was very different from the isolated houses of Jedebiya, widely scattered over a white sandstone plain. How Jela gives a first impression of a ruined town, because of its small, roofless mud courts, its irregular doorways and unfinished walls. But it is exceedingly picturesque, seen against a red setting sun. We camped just before four, in a hollow beyond the last fence made of plaited palm leaves. We were so hungry that we could hardly wait to put up our tent. Visions of milk and eggs and fresh crisp hubs danced before our eyes. We sent the fat Yusuf to inquire. Meanwhile, Omar had departed to his home in the town to return a little later with a basket of fine dates. It was a resplendent being who found us flat on our camp beds, too tired to care any more about food. We had discovered a small stick of chocolate in a knapsack. Hassanayn wanted me to eat the whole of it, but the desert teaches only two laws. The European code of morals disappear altogether. One becomes a simple, savage being who may commit most crimes with impunity. In opposition, however, one gradually realizes that two or three actions, considered natural and justifiable in London, are unforgivable sins in the Sahara. The laws all true wanderers obey are these. Thou shalt not eat nor drink more than thy share, and thou shalt not lie about the places thou hast visited or the distances thou hast traversed. Omar had changed his dirty, torn white chemise with his ragged jerd for a blue braided jubba and a new striped jerd. We thanked him earnestly for the dates and listened indifferently to the stern fact that absolutely nothing could be bought in Aljela. Doubtless, as we were the Sayed's guests, he said, important people of the town would send us gifts of food on the morrow, but for the moment, short of begging, nothing could be done. It was beneath our dignity as important Egyptians traveling on the Sayed's business to explain the state of our commissariat 
so we made up our minds to a supper of milk tablets and dates. At the last moment, however, one of our guardian angels, Musa Shiab, appeared smiling, with a scarlet mandal full of fresh eggs. Our joy was unspeakable. I don't know how many we ate. I remember kneeling in the sand for ages under a calm, starlit sky, half blinded by the smoke of a brushwood fire, poaching those blessed eggs one by one. I like your particular sauce, said Hassanein. I shall miss the taste of sand in Cairo. We managed to wash a little afterwards, the joy of which was diluted by the fact that we were suffering from a violent rash all over us. We politely called it heat, but I think it was dirt. Just as we had finished our eggs, Mohammed came with excitement to tell us that the sheikh of the Zawiya, Abdul Qasim, with the Ekwan and the important people of the Balad, were coming to visit us, as they had heard we had letters from Sayyid Rida. We had no clothes to wear. We could not even offer them the usual sweet tea. Sheib came to the rescue, as usual, and it was agreed that the meeting should take place in his tent. Hassanine was hurriedly rigged up in my beautiful silk jerd with an hereditary brocaded white kufia which he had brought from Egypt on his head, the gorgeous one the generous Sayyid had given me wound gracefully round his neck. The meeting was most impressive. The dignified sheikhs sat round the narrow tent on dyed camel's hair rugs, their rifles stacked against the center pole. With the utmost solemnity, the letters of Sayyid Idris and Sayyid Rita were read. With one voice, the Ekwan murmured, The orders of the Sayyid are upon our heads. Then details were discussed. The matter of distance was again very difficult. As far as a man may go on one girba is a favorite expression. A girba is a dried goatskin used for carrying water. It holds from four to seven gallons. The Bedouins say a man may travel on a small one for five or six days in winter and for three in summer. After much argument, we were told that it was actually thirteen days from Jallo to Kfara by the direct caravan route which goes on to Wadai. There are two wells, one at Butafal, a day's march from Jallo, and another at Zigan, seven days farther on. This well, which stands alone in the desert, is wrongly marked as an oasis, Sirhen, on the map. There is another so-called route from Jalo to Kafara, that chosen by Rolfs. It runs in a more westerly direction to the oasis of Taizerbo, erroneously supposed to be one of the Kufara group. This oasis contains several villages, the biggest being Kasiba, Maubus, El Kaiser, and El Wadi inhabited by Zuyas and Tibus, the latter being the original dwellers in Kufara, from which they have been gradually driven by the conquering Senussi. Beyond Taizerbo, there are various savage tribal bands who delight in sacking caravans and murdering their escorts. They are sworn foes to the merchant, and Zigan is occasionally a dangerous halting place, because the Tibus sweep east from their Ribiana stronghold or the lawless Zuyas from Busima, fall upon the caravan, and have vanished into the desert before the news has reached Kufara. From Taizerbo, a six or seven days route runs via Busima to Kufara, but besides the fear of attack, it is dangerous owing to sand dunes. It is also possible to go direct from Jalo to Busima, a route unmarked on our map. One passes through the Hatia between Zigan and Taizerbo, in the bed of which there is water, 
and sees the dark strange mountain two days before one reaches the oasis in its shadow Lucima always appealed to me fatally because of its lovely black mountains and its lake a lake in a libyan desert surely that is sufficient to make up for any number of robbers i tried hard to persuade abdullah to ignore tizerbo apparently much akin to any other flat desert oasis and go straight to the country of dark mountains but about this he was adamant he would not risk this dangerous route and so we each privately made up our minds to outwit the other he would take me to tizerbo with the secret intention of then going to zegan and by the main caravan route to kufara i agreed to the tizerbo route but with the equally firm determination of continuing to our goal by way of busima two other possible ways to the sacred city were mentioned one due south from jagabum and one west from farafa in egypt but both necessitated twelve or thirteen days without water nobody seemed to know much about the latter but the casualties on the former had been appalling the last arab who attempted it had died on the way because his water went bad sayyid ahmed traversing it with an army had been forced to leave his luggage stores and horses behind another party had lost their way and after half their number had died the remainder arrived at siwa by mistake the guides lost their heads said abdul kasim one mistake is sufficient and you must die we were very anxious to return by this route but they all dissuaded us return to jallo they said it is only seven days from there to jagabum but it is all without water the wells were closed in the war we asked more definitely about the position of kufara five days from zegan and seven from tizerbo the oasis generally called kebabo is really kufara it is not one of a group it lies entirely alone and it contains five villages all this was told by grey-bearded sheiks by the light of two guttering candles in shib's humble tent the atmosphere was very friendly they sympathized and wanted to help only good can come out of your journey they said you have the sayed's blessing therefore your coming is an honor to us stay with us a day and let us see you again the air was full of warm enthusiasm and we felt we were among friends in the morning of course it had all changed it is difficult in europe to understand the mentality of these children of nature they are simple and emotional such a little way below their impulsive kindness and generosity lies the almost maniacal fanaticism of their tradition we were playing a difficult part and the threads were apt to get complicated we had to pretend to be poor for fear of attack by robber bands yet we had to be able to bribe when necessary i had to be a moslem woman yet i had to talk to ekwan and sheiks we had to be important egyptians to be worth protecting yet we had no clothes or stores we were traveling on a secret mission for the said yet we wanted to go to places where there could be no chance of work it was no wonder that suspicion constantly followed us tales of a christian woman and her secretary came from jedabia it was possible that they would cling to us all the way apparently a morose bedouin had come to sheib's tent the previous night and protested violently against the arrival of these strangers from egypt they are not of us he said we must put them through the usual searching questions 
Then we shall know who they are and what is their business. They have letters from the Sayed. Is that not enough for you? said our friend. They must learn that it is difficult to travel in this country, insisted the Bedouin. No strangers may come here. Apparently, one of the important people of the town was of like opinion, for next day the Ekwan were divided into two camps. One party was for literally obeying the gracious letter of Sayed Rita and giving a feast in her honor. The other, led by an unruly Arab, head of a section of the Zuya tribe, who always made a habit of opposing the Sayed's wishes, wanted to ignore us. The result was a compromise. They showed us no hospitality, but they met in the Zawiya in the afternoon and received us with friendliness. They signed their names to a curious document stating that, in accordance with the Sayed's order, they had hospitably received Hassanine Bay and the Sit Karajah, and I think they were ashamed as they did so, for one almond effendi who came from Jallo to collect the government taxes said boldly, I will sign that when I meet you in my town in a few days. We learned afterwards that he had made a loyal speech in the morning, saying that they must all do honor to the Sayed's guests, and the formal reception in the Zawiya was probably due to him. There are between thirty and forty Ekwan in Aujela. The sheikh of the Zawiya is Abdul Qasim. The Zawiya stands on a low rise in the center of the town. It is a square mud building with heavily barred windows, looking more like a fortress than a college. Below are gardens of bisset and onions with a few pumpkins. Barley is grown under the bilad's broken walls, and in broad shallow depressions one sees rows of sand bricks baking in the sun. In the morning we wandered through the town, followed by a crowd of amazed children who had probably never seen a stranger before. Women peeped at us from low doorways. They were muffled in folds of long indigo tobes, which were delightful in the brilliant sunshine. Occasionally one made a vivid splash of color in orange or scarlet. They wore gold earrings and all had tattoo marks on forehead and chin. Most of the people of Aljela speak a dialect similar to that of the Tuaregs and some of the Siwa people, but it is not understood in Jalo. We went through the narrow winding paths bordered by high mud walls, with here and there a palm drooping over a feathery gray bush, till we came to the biggest mosque with its square roof covered with clay cupolas. Here we met some of the Ekwan, who greeted us kindly, and took us to the Zawiya to see the Quba of Abdullah Sahabi, the supposed clerk of Muhammad, who is buried there. By a narrow passage, one passes into a square sandy court, with a narrow roof running along three sides, under which the Ekwan sits on mats. The door leads into a further smaller court, and from there one passes through a carpeted antechamber into the mosque. The tomb stands in the center, covered with gaudy cotton stuff, and the walls are hung with cheap mirrors and ostrich eggs, the latter the gift of pilgrims from Wadai. We walked round the tomb, chanting the Koran, after which we kissed it and solemnly repeated the Fatha. The Ekwan spend whole days reading and studying the Koran round this tomb. We asked them about Rolf's caravan, but they knew nothing except that Manus Man had been there before he started on his doomed journey west, having already signed his death warrant by writing that he did so at his own risk. They told us the Zawiya had been founded by Muhammad el-Mahdi in 1872. 
nearby is the old turkish kaiser residence of the ottoman kaimakan now used as an office by the clerks of the senussi government we had just finished a mighty lunch suddenly provided by the generous omar masses of hot flat hubs eggs and a chicken cooked in a bowl of savory juice and red pepper and were trying to cool our smarting mouths and watering eyes after burning filfil when the great event of many days happened simply and unexpectedly we had searched the far horizon for so many weary hours we had magnified so many grazing herds into our longed-for caravan that when yusuf standing on the rise above us said there is a caravan coming we took no notice we had eaten our first good meal for eleven days our souls were full of gratitude to omar and our only worry was how we could reward him for his generosity in parenthesis it may be said that the only thing he coveted was some imaginary scent he had smelled on me we traced it eventually to some cody face powder which i was carefully treasuring against my arrival in cairo and he departed happily with a quarter of the box when however yusuf raced down the hill screaming our caravan hamdalullah our caravan at last lethargy departed and we all rushed up the rise with more speed than dignity it was quite true twelve camels and a dozen men were within a hundred yards of us first came a stately figure in white burnous abdullah a famous guide who knew all the libyan routes of whom the bedouins said he has a great heart and next the neat brisk little commandant with his thin humorous face and quiet dry manner the ebony abdul rahim he was followed by a sergeant maraja whose home was in kufara and six men somewhere in the background lurked a cook but we did not see him that evening for he was immediately sent to prepare a banquet for our friends the Shi'ibs. after the first rush of joy in which everyone shook everyone else's hand a score of times and mabsut and tayeb and hamdalela filled the air we watched the barracking of the camels with blank amazement used to the indolence of the two farages we could hardly believe our eyes when literally in five minutes under the shrewd eyes of abdul rahim the camels were freed the luggage and rifles stacked and the men rapidly putting up the tents we could only rub our eyes and gasp while my eyes wandered over the baggage in search of the sacks which had been mysteriously taken from our jedebiah dwelling at dead of night i recognized them one by one and peace visited my soul even though when i looked down i saw the striped legs of my pajama trousers appearing beneath my red toe for the ill-used cotton pantaloons had given away altogether the previous evening we asked for news of jedebiah they say in the souk that you escaped in an aeroplane sent by allah said abdullah gravely but abdul rahim smiled his wise little smile they asked me where i was going with my big caravan he said and i told them i was travelling to punish some bedouins who had not paid their taxes to the sayed we learned through a letter from our ebony confidant that it was the second messenger who had discovered us by the wadi firing the first had searched in vain and returned without news the Ekwan and the party who had opposed our going were furious at our escape which had been quite unsuspected so apparently were certain robber bands upon the road for near bir the caravan marching day and night to overtake us 
it had done the two hundred and twenty kilometers in four and a half days were accosted by some armed bedouins who asked where they were going while two or three others who gathered in the vicinity said where is the rich nasrani woman who is going to travel south large stores of food i know nothing about her said abdul rahim there is no woman with us but if you want to fight us we shall be delighted the disappointed arabs retired hastily we did not go to bed without further evidence of the sayed's generosity a huge sack of dates was brought to my tent from sayed rita's gardens we received a message to give them to you there was much fodling in the various tents that night exchanging congratulations and good wishes the Shiabs and our bedouins were feasting in one and soldiers in the second several little fires burned merrily we went from one to another making coffee from our newly arrived stores in true arab fashion tasting it and pouring it back into the pot if it were not sweet enough then we went on to the rise above the sleeping town and talked about all that we had done which was so little in comparison with what remained to be done yet we had won the first trick in the game and we felt now we had a fighting chance of success but even while peace enveloped us and the calm of the desert might impregnate our souls the first seed of a strife that was very nearly to wreck all our plans was being sown in the camp below the blacks had got the idea firmly fixed in their heads that they were to guard us they posted a sentinel musa Shiab, returning late was challenged as he stood beside his bales i am the owner of the tent he replied then go inside or go away altogether came the order both ruffled plumages had to be smoothed down in the morning the soldier was only doing his duty but the sheib's caravan had rescued us from defeat or starvation we started at nine thirty a m on december nineteenth for the six hours ride to jallo over a flat country of fine gravel brownish yellow without a speck of vegetation but it was a divided party the blacks always lazy when there was no necessity for a spurt rode the camels perching precariously above sacks and bales yusuf was furious chiefly because he wanted to ride himself the camels will never reach kufara if they are ridden he said we shall all die on the way there will be a fight and we will kill these black slaves he went away to join mohammed and the two kept away from the caravan the whole day abdullah the most famous tracker in libya who had recovered four of sheib's camels which had strayed the previous night following their footprints among many thousands in the soft sand led the caravan i kept the compass on him for an hour and he did not vary his direction by one point we made an absolutely straight line between the two oases at eleven thirty a m we saw a blot of palms on the horizon sharuf the northern end of the big oasis two hours later we entered the wide semicircle stretching south-southeast the palms were thickly clustered at the sharuf end a thinner belt swept round to another cluster at manisha sheib got off his camel and started walking briskly megrib smiled the faisha he said it is the faisha when a man goes on a journey his wife sometimes places a hollow gourd or pot in a certain position on the housetop so that it catches the wind as long as it thrums with the sound of the breeze her husband's heart will throb for her and he will return to her as quickly as possible 
At 2.30 we entered the thin belt in the middle. Here the palms were dotted over thick white sand, rolling up to low dunes. There was no sign of a bilad, though a thousand camel tracks went in the same direction. A chill wind had risen, so I tried to go to sleep behind my shrouding barracan. When I looked out an hour later, the scattered palms had grown rarer, and we had swung around a broad dune so that we faced another rise on which stood a formidable row of walled buildings. The desert cities of Libya each have their own special character. There are two separate villages at Jallo, El Erg and Leba. The former looks like a fortress at first sight. Its long, solid mud houses with their strong walled courts line the brow of the rise. Behind are the quaint, curly streets, the mysterious low arches, the huddled dwellings of sun-baked bricks. But as we drove our camels upwards, we saw only the bigger houses, with scattered groups of women and children wrapped in black and indigo robes. To the left of the building stretched what appeared to be a long, low, white wall, solid and even, which continued indefinitely. Mohammed, seeing it, rushed forward excitedly. It is a royal reception in your honor, he shouted. And Nestebien Henna, Anna Masbu. Oh, they are good people here. I am happy. They love the Sayyid. They wish to honor him and his guests. Bewildered, I looked again at the long white wall. It was a solid mass of white-clad Arabs. Line upon line of Bedouins stretched in rigid order from the corner of the last house along the whole length of the rise, at the end of which the splendid wall of humanity dwindled away into groups of women and children. Thrills of emotion warmed us all. It was so spontaneously generous and kindly. I could have cried from sheer gratitude, and Mohammed's dazzling smile was reflected on all our faces. The camels were driven with shouts into more regular order. Abdul Rahim ordered his men into line. Megreb, wild with excitement, seized my camel and almost dragged me off it. Are you happy? Are you happy? he kept asking. Yusuf was dancing with delight. We tried to collect our scattered wits and march up the rise in dignified fashion. The Sudanese achieved it, led by their sergeant, but now that my foot was less swollen, both my great yellow shoes fell off at every second step, while Hassanine's jerk described odd, wind-blown antics on its own. I shall never forget the mass of tall, grave figures in snowy jerk and bunus, drawn up in military formation. The setting sun blazed red behind them, and from below came the wild Tulua'in of the women. We came as strangers, as pilgrims, to the land of the Sanusi. We had no claim on their hospitality. We had no right to enter the most closely guarded country in the world. Beggar or prince, Bedouin or sheik, must prove good reason areas made free of the southbound tracks to the sacred city. Our only passport was our love of the Arab race our sympathy with their customs and their faith. We dared offer no other plea. We asked but the right of the nomad to travel with his camels wherever the desert called him. Sidi Idris, with a mystic's vision, responded to our desire. The Bedouins sense those who love them, and they answer to the bond, he said. You will go unharmed. We had received a blessing, and we might wander south by desert city and guarded well to the mysterious secret oasis. Little did we realize that we have been marked as the honored guests for whom no generosity was too great. 
the hospitality that you show them will be as if you had shown it to us had written said rita and by his will we shared his lordship of the desert as we approached the white ranks bowed with dignity in a chorus of grave assalamu alaikum marhaba marhaba bisalama welcomed us but the lines never wavered we shook hands with the kaimakan hameda bey zaitan with the sheikh of the zawiya sidi mohammed es senussi and with many ekwan following their example by afterwards kissing our hands and touching our foreheads we murmured gratitude unbounded for the honor they did us all that we have is yours they said we belong to the sad a house had already been prepared for us the white mass parted to let us through surrounded by the dignitaries of the town amidst a swelling murmur of welcome and blessing we followed the hospitable kaikaman into the narrow sand streets it was a strange muddled fantasy seen through a gap in the folds of the barracan dark-robed women peeping from low doorways shouts of flying children as the thonged whip of the commissaire swept them from our path thick sand pale walls and the white crowd of kindly smiling elders pressing around us we stumbled through an arched door into a dark anteroom on by odd little yards and passages into a small court this house is all yours said the kaimakan and the government is at your service food will be brought you and all that you ask for we will gladly give the last scene remains in my mind we stood in the doorway of the largest room a mud-walled chamber twelve feet square with a central pine trunk holding up the flat roof made of plaited leaves the floor of the desert's own sand thick and unmatted the most reverend ekwan gathered in the court and the sayed's letters were formally read good very good came a contented murmur and then the kisses and the formula the sayed's orders are on our heads as they touched turban and jurd and ma'araka by this time it was five p m and dark so we thought it was time for the day's second meal the first had been eaten at seven a m at aujela mohammed would not hear of it they will come back they will bring everything we must make ready from somewhere he produced mats and a carpet his own i believe which he spread on the sand it is difficult to arrange bulging sacks of tinned food and cereals artistically but he did his best while i made a royal illumination by sticking a lighted candle on the top of every sack just as we finished the ekwan trooped back all bearing gifts one brought dates another bitter native butter a third great bowls of camels or goat's milk a white fluttering hen was pressed into my hands and a huge horned sheep dragged to our feet bread enough for a regiment was piled in a plated basket eggs and tea and sugar followed we stumbled over our thanks in sheer amazement at their hospitality at least not the sheep i said frantically probably in english as no notice was taken when the clamor had died away and the rejoicing mohammed had piled our rich gifts in every available corner a small council of war gathered sitting cross-legged on the largest map i was offered the place of honor but i felt that refreshment was needed so faraj and i made a tiny brush fire in a corner of the court and labored to make strong sweet coffee our baggage was wildly mixed but the black rose to the occasion 
he produced a tin of coffee from somewhere and i broke one of the great square slabs of sugar with a stone we puffed and blew at the wavering fire till our faces scorched and the water boiled mohammed jumped excitedly round upsetting things and offering impossible suggestions but the coffee bought at my pet london grocer's was good and though there was a deficit of glasses the guests appreciated it warmly as i brought in a second relay of cups on a tin plate they formed a favorable impression of the sitkaraja and decided that perhaps her mixture of blood was a pity but not a crime the grave abdullah joined us his keen pointed face with small dark beard lean and weather-beaten burned almost black in contrast to his thick white burnous we talked of roots the fat yusuf naturally wanted to go straight to kafara by the wadai caravan route and return the same way the kaimakan and the two sheiks ibrahim bishari and mohammed magruf wished to uphold the honor of the senussi therefore they assured us that all routes were safe abdullah was anxious not to go to busima he said entirely incorrectly that a band of Tuaregs dwelt in Ribiana, and their whole business in life consisted of robbing any chance travelers between Busima and Kufara. He said that caravans cannot cross the steep dunes. The camels slip and cast their loads or break their legs. Our camels are not strong, he urged, and they are not used to deep sand. While we are laboring in the dunes, the Tuaregs will attack us and take the caravan is there no way of avoiding them i asked determined to see busima none they will know where we are passing and they will lie in wait to surprise us one man might escape them but how can a caravan pass unseen he told a gruesome story of a caravan passing that way from wadai a few weeks ago and of a successful tureg attack which seized the camels and put to flight those of the escort whom they did not kill i could believe it because in the french sahara i had known the masked tuaregs and their swift trotting camels date fed they never remove the cloths which hide their mouths but they are the salt of the bedouin race tireless fearless and cruel ibrahim bashari proffered the fact that there was a route between taizerbo and zegan one day's journey or a day and a half at most so if after reaching taizerbo we did not wish to face the dunes or the torregs we could go to the lonely well on the caravan route and thence in five days to kufara only yusuf protested in busima are enemies of the arabs he said there is always danger there but i sternly insisted the honor of the sayed is in your hands you must prove to the faranji that his influence is strong enough to protect his people anywhere this phrase spiked his guns for the moment. It was enthusiastically received by the others. After deciding that we would stay in Jallo for two or three days to procure girbas to carry sufficient water for our large party, food for the men, information about the route, and generally to reorganize the caravan, and that we would then go to Taizerbo, the party broke up with many Asulamu Alaikums and Ramat Allah at last we could devote our whole attention to food first however i was taken by moraja to see the sheep which had already been slaughtered skinned and cut up into bits choose which piece you want and we will eat the rest said the sergeant 
I picked out a leg and departed hastily, but the blacks were amazed at my frugality. Two rushed after me with strange-looking fragments, which I had never seen on a dinner table, and pressed them upon me. They are very good, they said. You will be happy. December 20th and 21st we passed in the little sand house with a maze of odd courts and antechambers. After 48 hours within its hospitable walls, I still lost my way coming from the main door to my room, so intricate were the twists and turns. It does not sound a very lengthy affair to procure and issue food and gerba sufficient for seventeen people for a fortnight or three weeks, when the government stores are at one's disposal, and the Kaimakan is as capable and energetic as Hamida Bezaiten. Yet we worked about eighteen hours out of each twenty-four. Flour rations for the caravan? Yes, the grain is in the village, but it must be ground and for this purpose a little must be doled out to each house in jallo for no family possesses more than one primitive handmill worked by two blue-robed women who slowly turn the great stones one above the other sixteen girbas for water well, yes but some of them leak and there is no tar to repair them so it is with everything the soldiers would not travel without a large supply of zeit oil in which to cook their cereals Mohammed wanted to have a change of raiment made, and it was only comforted by hearing that the prices were much cheaper in Kufar. The dark Abdullah would not move an inch without being satisfied that the caravan carried sufficient water. The full army allowance for washing, cooking, and drinking is a gallon per day per man. There were seventeen people in our party, so for seven days we should have had to carry a hundred and thirty-three gallons. The largest gerbas hold seven gallons, and a camel carries four of them. Therefore, five loads would have had to be devoted to water only. This was impossible, as we had also to carry dates for our animals at an allowance of one sack per head per day, and we had only eight camels. Every moment that was not devoted to the consideration of these practical details or to settling the grievances of the men... Yusuf had several new ones each day, and even Hassanine was agreed because the solemn tailor did not finish his new white chemise and trousers in time. We spent in the delightful practice of fodling. It is not an easy thing to gain information among the Sanusi. The simplest question generates suspicion. A remark about the price of cotton stuff or the position of a well arouses the darkest forebodings. The sight of a pencil and notebook seals their lips. One needs infinite patience and understanding before one can penetrate their reserve. They are a silent race with rare bursts of loquaciousness. At an Arab gathering it is not necessary to talk. After the oft-repeated Gif Halak and Tayyib, the men sit gravely silent, staring into space and sipping their strong green tea. The desert breeds reserve. If a man travels alone for many days or weeks without sight of a human being, without exchanging a word, he learns to commune with himself and his God, and he shuts his heart away in a sealed chamber. The Sanusi are particularly difficult of approach, as they are a closely knitted religious fraternity imbued with a distrust of strangers that almost amounts to hatred. Not only does the Nasrani not cross their border, but practically no Arab outside their brotherhood travels by their roots. Hence the advent of any stranger, even protected by the Sayyids, 
gives birth to a storm of conjecture, criticism, and suspicion. When this is satisfied and allayed, their loyal friendliness appears, and they welcome one literally as one of themselves. All that we have as yours is not a form of speech in Libya. It is true so long as the friendly atmosphere exists, but one may have worked for hours or days to create the right impression, and a chance word may destroy it. I think utter simplicity and a little speech are the best methods of approach. Flowery words impress them, and they say, Thy conversation is like honey. Allow me to return that I may drink of it. But to themselves they murmur, He is a juggler of words. Let us be careful, lest he bemuse us. They always suspect an ulterior motive, and it is best, therefore, to satisfy their love of mystery and let them gradually decipher a suitable one. The basis of their life is their faith, and like every ascetic set, their strict practice isolates them from the rest of humanity. Outside the distrust engendered by their lives, aloof and remote from any code but their own, they are as simple as the shepherd patriarchs of old. The mentality of Abraham exists today in Libya. Also, they are as easily impressed, offended, or hurt as children. The poorer people show the amused, expectant curiosity of children with the same eagerness to question and to learn. Once they have admitted one to their friendship, the sheikhs ask intelligently about politics in the Middle East, and for hours one may discuss the Ottoman Empire, the Hijaz, and Egypt. Before, however, one can even attempt a joke, much time must have been spent fondling. One by one, the important merchants and sheikhs came to visit us. Gradually, the circle seated upon our one carpet under the palm-leaf roof widened. Grave, bearded faces peered from the hoods of dark blue burnouses, braided, lined with red. Sunburnt hands flicked away the myriad flies with whisks of palm fronds. There was a plump kaimakan with pallid, intelligent face and stubble of black beard round thick, smiling lips, and Garboa Effendi with humorous expression on a face which might hail from Europe. Firm lips, square jaw, pale skin, wide, quizzical smile. I think stray vandal blood must run in his veins. His mother lived in Benghazi, and he was interested in the ways of Europe. There was the white-faced Sheikh El Zawiyah, Mohammed S. Sanusi, with dreamy eyes and dropping jaw, and dear, fat, old Sheikh Mohammed Magruf, with round, lineless face as brown as a nut, a succession of circles from his little pursed mouth to his round brown eyes, and Sheikh Ibrahim Bashari, the traveller, who had taken his laden caravan from Wadai to Egypt, from Kufara to Lake Chad. We discovered, after much sweet tea had been drunk with loud sucking noises, and our best coffee was perfuming the air, that Jallo is a community of merchants. The date palms are a minor thing. The village lives by its trade, for it is on the main caravan route between the Sudan and the Cyrenaican ports. Sidi Mohammed, the Mahdi, founded this great desert highway through Kufara. Before his day, all caravans passed by way of Tripoli and the Fezan. We learned that ivory was bought at Wadai for five or ten francs the pound, and that when the expenses of the long journey were deducted, the Bedouins counted on making a profit of 50% in Benghazi. 
Southbound caravans took needles, soap, scent, sandal, cotton stuffs, sugar, and tea. They returned with ivory, feathers, and smuggled slave boys and girls of eight to ten years. Some of these latter were adorable, solemn little beings with chubby black faces peering out of the pointed hood of minute camel's hair burnooses. They were sent by their masters to bring us gifts of egg and milk, and they regarded us with aloof scorn till we propitiated them with handfuls of dates. The friendly circles discussed every Sahara route, marked or unmarked, upon the maps. We learned the position of every well and the taste of the water therein. We also learned that in winter a camel may actually go fifteen days without water, if lightly loaded and carefully driven. Therefore, Siwa, Jaghabub, and Farafa are all possible outlets from Kufara, though a single mistake or mishap means destruction. As the hours lengthened and the coffee grew sweeter, we passed from business to politics. The eyes of all were turned to Egypt's struggle for freedom as an earnest of the future of Libya. To my surprise, Britain was regarded with respect and affection. The destruction of the Senussi Zawiyas in Egypt was put down to the result of Sayyid Ahmed's mistaken policy. Apparently, the whole country had realized Britain's disinterestedness with regard to Libya, and therefore had entered but half-heartedly into the projects of Manasman and Nuri. Sayyid Ahmed is regarded with respect and reverence as a devout Moslem, but his politics are regretted. Sayyid Idris is looked upon as the savior of his country. He came forward at a moment when the Senussi saw a prospect of the whole land slipping into European hands. By his tactful policy, he preserved the power of his people who respect him for his friendship with Britain and for his intelligent and amicable attitude toward Italy. They look to him to preserve Libya for the Senussi, while realizing that Italy will always have a hold in Cyrenaica. It is too early yet for the new constitution to be appreciated in Libya. The terms of the accord at Regima have not yet been transmitted to the desert oases. Therefore, there was still much doubt in the minds of our visitors as to the future of their country. When the broad-minded policy of Italy is fully known, there should be an excellent understanding between the Senussi and their Latin allies. The whole prosperity of the country will depend upon that good understanding. Two men are responsible for its initiation. The Bedouins owe their present peace entirely to the straightforward, progressive spirit of Sidi Idris. Italy owes hers to the governor of Cyrenaica, Senator De Martino, who appears to be the first European statesman of this era to realize that in dealing with Arab races, it pays to keep one's pledged word. C'est une mauvaise politique de promettre et de ne pas tenir bon. His Excellency said to me while I was staying with him at Benghazi. C'est l'erreur qu'a fait l'Angleterre. Ici, on a confiance en moi parce qu'on sait que je tiendrai ma parole. When the candles were lit and mint leaves put in the tea, our guests grew confidential. They told us of their love of freedom and of their desire for a quiet life without political intrigue. The war had done them much harm, for it had raised prices and closed routes. The trade of the country was almost at a standstill. The export of hides had stopped altogether. Bitter feeling had to a large extent died down, but it could be rekindled by any act of aggression. 
the arabs hoped at the moment that italy would come no farther inland but i imagine that their merchants will be anxious to avail themselves of the increased facilities for trade which italian protection will give to cyrenaica sheik ibrahim asked about the hejaz kingdom there is a famous senussi zawiya near mecca and the bonds between libya and the hejaz must always be close because of the pilgrimage to the bait ullah it is to the interests of every devout moslem especially to these ascetic fanatics that there should be peace in the territory of king Hussein. all were interested in the career of the emir faisal and they asked when he would return to damascus to this embarrassing question we were obliged to give evasive replies but the point was pressed with more decision than usual is not england going to help him asked the kai makan indignantly we tried to explain the complicated policy of my country but the oldest sheik shook his head impatiently are not the english strong enough to protect their allies he said we were sorry when sayyid ahmed made war upon england because we thought she was strong and powerful has she become weak now we changed the conversation lightly but the little sting rankled once more it was brought home to us how british prestige among the arab had dwindled during the last years we may have won the war but we have lost the peace maybe we have lost even a greater thing as i listened to the words of censure of our bedouin guests i remember the last speech i had heard on the subject it came from the lips of a great statesman at an asiatic society dinner in london and delineating britain's future policy in the middle east it left its hearers bewildered by the rhetoric but ignorant of the facts end of chapter five